Pastor Chris's podcast. Well, for this 40-day season of Lent, we begin a new message series that studies who Jesus said he was. Jesus made seven famous statements in the Gospel of John about his identity. These statements are famous because he began each of these statements by saying with the phrase, I am, I am. In other words, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at each of these statements that Jesus made. Now, there's something very important in about this phrase, I am, that Jesus keeps repeating. It's something important that you could easily miss if you're not paying close attention. Something that would have been immediately obvious to his original Jewish audience in the first century, but might not be to us who are English speaking. A Jewish audience knew that the phrase I am is the proper name of God of the Old Testament. Uh, Their God, our God. Way back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell him to let the Israelites come out of slavery. And of course, as you can imagine, Moses was quite intimidated by this task God was giving him. How am I going to go talk to Pharaoh? He's just going to have me executed. And we're not going to even tell him, sit me. What's your name? And God said, to, told Moses, tell them I am has sent you. And it's a strange name, right? I don't know too many people that name their uh, baby I am. Um, but God's name is I am. It's a strange name that's impossible really to translate into English. But it means something like I am who I am or I will be who I will be. It's, it calls to mind the character of God, which is total self-confidence. He is who he is. He doesn't change for anyone. He's, he has an eternal nature, and his character never changes. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be a thousand million trillion years from now. God is who he is, and that's why his name is I Am. Now, the name of God was so revered by the Jewish people in Jesus' day that they would not even say it or write it. You know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. It's one of the most important commandments for the, the Jewish people. And they kind of got that and they twisted it and turned it and bent it out of shape to the point that they thought, well, how do you know if you've used the Lord's name in vain? I'll tell you what, we just won't even say his name. We won't even write it. And we'll make sure we don't ever use his name in vain. That's sort of how they thought about it. They revered that name. And so instead of saying his name, they would just refer to him as the Lord which is why we oftentimes in church talk and we pray and we say the Lord, right? That's where it comes from. And anyone that said his name was in danger of actually being stoned to death. It was such a taboo thing to say God's name that you could die if you did it in Jesus' day. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life or I am the light of the world, you have to understand what he's doing. He's making a statement. 
And everybody he made it to knew exactly what he was doing. And it was just, you could hear the oxygen escape from the room as everybody went, oh, he didn't just say that. But he did. And so we're going to look at one of those statements every week. But today we're going to look at the first one from John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, when Jesus said this, you have to understand a a little bit of the context of what had happened. You probably know that story where Jesus fed 5,000 people. You remember that? It was the miracle. Um, And and little boy brings up, oh, he's got five loaves and two fish. And there's 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women and children. So we don't know how many were there, but it was thousands of people. And, and Jesus says, we're going to feed them. And we're going to, he takes these five loaves and two fish and he starts feeding and he starts feeding and miracle beyond miracles. It never runs out. People keep coming. People get filled feeding and they're, they're eating until they're full. And at the end, he's got 12 baskets full left over. How does this happen? And these people are like, it's amazing. And you have to understand, this is a time when most people were extremely poor. And you couldn't just run down to McDonald's and get you a Big Mac. Food was hard to come by. And here's a man who miraculously can feed a huge crowd of people until they're full and there's food left over. And they're just like, wow, mind is blown. How did he do this? Well, that happened just a few days before. And then Jesus comes, he's out on the Sea of Galilee and he gets off the boat and he comes walking up and the crowd that he fed a few days before, they see the man that fed him and they're like, there he is, he's the guy. And I bet by now, I mean, the food was good, but it's, it's worn off, right? They're hungry again. They're like, there's the guy, maybe he'll feed us again. And so they come crowding up, crowding up, and Jesus looks at him, and he, he, he knows what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm not Jesus, but I'm a preacher, and preachers aren't silly. We know that you don't always really enjoy the sermon so much that that's why you just, you got to go. You got you really want to hear the sermon. And Jesus is like, yeah, they don't really care what I'm about to preach. They just want some more food. That's what they really want. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, physical food satisfies you for a bit, for a little while, but then it always fades away and you're hungry again, right? I mean, no matter how good the meal is um, and no matter how much you eat, you know, isn't it amazing? You can eat at Thanksgiving until you are so full, you're about to throw up (laughs) and all you can do is lay on the floor and be like, oh, Lord, why did I do that? And it's only a few hours later and then you feel like you're about to starve to death again. Physical food wears off and it's not just food. Physical things, 
they never seem to satisfy for long. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was working on, uh, the other day when I was working on my old truck at home. It's just sort of like a hobby project for me now. When I was 15 years old, I could not wait until the day I could drive. And I was just like, I'm going out. And I went out and I beat down the doors of every place I could so I could get a job. And finally, Winn-Dixie hired me to buy groceries so I could earn a little money, go out. And I bought my first car, which only cost $900. And it was a piece of junk. It broke down more than it ran. So I had to learn real fast. But I had a car because I wanted a car so I could go drive and go see people and do things that I wanted to do. And then I got that car and I was able to do that. And then it was breaking down all the time. And I remember being out there in the yard, you know, as I busted my knuckles on something that wouldn't work and I couldn't get it to work and I'm constantly having to work on it. And when I needed it to run, it would break down. And I remember thinking to myself, I cannot wait until the day if I can buy a new car that never breaks down. Every time you turn the key, it starts and you go where you want to go. And eventually I got to a place where I could buy uh, my first new car, which was a Toyota pickup. And it was the best, most reliable vehicle we ever had. And, you know, we've had reliable vehicles ever since then. And guess what? Now, driving a new car around a few years ago, I was like, man, I'd really like to have an old beat up truck that I could go out in the yard and work on. <laughs> Isn't that the way physical things are? They never satisfy. You always want something new, something different, right? And, it, and you get it, and then it doesn't satisfy. Newer car, bigger house, finer clothes, and then you want something new, something different. Maybe it's relationships that will satisfy you. You know, you think if I just if I just had a friend that was my best, best friend and then you get one, but that doesn't do it either. And you think, well, maybe if I just had a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend and then you get that and that doesn't do it. But maybe when you get married and DJ and Kayla are like, yes, what's the day? May 9th. I can't wait until we're married. I can't wait till we're married. And it's going to be such a wonderful thing. And then you get married and it's great. It's wonderful, but it doesn't fill the hole that's down deep in your bones because people can't do that. Or maybe it's a deep religious experience. Like if I could just, if I could just feel the presence of God, if I could just know that he's here, if he would just do some miracle that prove that he's real, he would, if God would just speak to me in an audible voice, then I would, it would satisfy me. And then we've all had experiences like that. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have had experiences like that where God was just so real, so tangible, so powerfully present that you're just, you're, your mind is blown. But then a few days later or a few years later, even though you you were healed from cancer or your you know, whatever it was, then it wears off. We need something even more than that. We need something that's eternal. And Jesus says, that's me. I am the one who will truly satisfy you forever. I am 
the bread of life. Um, a few weeks ago, I did something different. Uh, I was getting together with a group of guys from our church for lunch at Gondoliers. We're going to have lunch there. And I just, God gave me this idea. I said, I want you to, uh, I want you to take some bread and wine and we're going to have communion right there in Gondoliers restaurant down the road. And so that's what I did. Got there and, um, and the waitresses that, that they, that were there, they, they were just fascinated with what we were doing. Uh, one of them, I think, had been to church some. I don't know how familiar she was, but she wasn't real familiar with communion. The other one, I don't think, had uh, really been at all. And so they were just watching us, fascinated, as we took the bread and dipped it in the juice and, and ate it right there in Gondoliers. And um, afterward, they were so fascinated, they were asking all kinds of questions. What are you doing? What are you doing? So the bread is his body and the, 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 the juice is his his blood and and the one waitress was like, so you eat his body and you drink his blood, and then we were all like, how do we explain this? <laughs> because yes, that's what we're doing, but no, that's not what we're doing. We're not cannibals, but you know they were trying to explain it to them, and and it was interesting because. Many of the people that were in the crowd that day with Jesus, when he said, I am the bread of life, they misunderstood Jesus in the same way. For Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 5, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. And people are like, they're appalled. This man claims to be God and he says that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He's crazy. And many people stopped following him that day because they said he's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. They didn't understand that the flesh and the blood represents his crucifixion. As he was nailed to the cross, his body was broken on the cross and his blood was shed on the cross. And it's only by that act that we find true fulfillment. If we partake of that sacrifice that he made, we don't literally eat his flesh and drink his blood, but the bread symbolically represents for us his body that was broken. And the wine, which is actually Welch's grape juice, by the way, Symbolically represents his blood, which was shed for us. He gave his body and his blood to pay the price for our sin so that we can be forgiven and we have a restored relationship with the great I am, the one true God who created us with a purpose and the purpose that we are on this planet, the purpose that we exist is to have a relationship with our creator. And we can't have that because sin is there and it separates us from him. And Jesus is saying the only way that you can be filled, the only way you can be nourished to eternal life is through what I'm going to do for you on the cross, what he did for us on the cross. It's a relationship with God. Not a, not a ceremony, not a relationship with people, not things, not food. It's a relationship with God that we need.
is the only thing that truly satisfies you. And it's a satisfaction that lasts forever. For some people, Holy Communion is a powerful, sacred ceremony that helps you to feel God's presence. But it's just bread and it's just grape juice. It's what it represents that really makes the difference. It's the relationship. So as we get ready to share Holy Communion together and close the service together, I want to finish with two points. Those who eat the bread of life and are satisfied are people who are hungry. Have you ever noticed that about your own life when it comes to physical food? When you're the hungriest, that's when the food tastes the best. That's when it satisfies you the most. I mean, it could be a five-star, chef-prepared, awesome, perfect meal. But if you're not really that hungry, maybe you just ate an hour ago or a couple hours ago and you're not hungry. I mean, the food's going to be like, yeah, it's okay. It's pretty good. But if you hadn't eaten since... 12 hours ago, it could be a hot dog. And you'd be like, that's the best hot dog I've ever had. It's all about the hunger. The same is true in your spiritual life. If you're not really that hungry, if you're not really that desperate for God, eh, eh, take it or leave it. It's okay. I mean, it's all good going to church and having communion and singing the songs. It's nice, but if you're not, but if you're starving and desperate for God, even the crumbs that He sends your way will be the most amazing thing that you've ever had. So the trick is recognizing the hunger that's there, recognizing your desperate need for God. Because most of us go through this life with this delusion that we're all right. We're all good. And it's not until some tragedy befalls you that threatens life or limb or things that you really care about and you realize how much you need God. And then all of a sudden, that's why people get really close to God when they go through those kinds of things. And there's one more point. It's the same for food as it is for your spirit. You know, there's a lot of things you can get people to do for you. But there's some things you can only do for yourself. Like, for instance, you could get somebody to come over to your house and cook you a really cool meal, right? You could pay somebody even to come and fix, prepare this wonderful meal for you. But you know what you can't pay somebody to do for you? Eat. (laughs) You can't pay them to eat it for you. I mean, you could pay them to eat it for you, but it wouldn't do you any good, right? You don't get to taste it. You don't get the nourishment from it or the calories or anything. That's something only you can do. Nobody else can eat for you. And the same is true in your spiritual life. When it comes to the bread of life, nobody else can take partake of the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, for you. That's something only you can do. You can't rely on your parents' religion and faith Only you can do it for yourself. So as we come to the time for sharing Holy Communion, 
I want you to be thinking of those things. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Are you hungry for him? Have you been relying on somebody else to to eat for you? Are you hungry and ready to come and take the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ for yourself because you desperately need it? Because you're empty and you need him to fill you, not just your stomach, but down deep in the marrow of your bones. Good news is he's here today and he wants to give you that fulfillment.